Thank you, Jerry. Well, good morning once again to all of you, and welcome to our Family Bible Hour. Last week, we heard an amazingly powerful message by our brother Chris Lee on holding on and letting go. It was an extremely difficult one for our brother to deliver because he had lived through it himself, and as a result, it touched every heart present and brought tears to every eye. In challenging times, in times when trials and afflictions overwhelm us, and there seems to be no end to our suffering, it is imperative to know whom to hold on to and what to let go of. And so I trust that each one of us here this morning has, as a result of that wonderful message, been both strengthened and encouraged to hold fast to the things which the Lord continually teaches us through his word. For though the things of the world at times may seem very appealing, they neither have any lasting value nor ability to comfort and strengthen us in our time of need. So thank you once again, Chris, for your ever-faithful ministry of the Word. This morning, we once again will resume our studies on the book of Exodus, choosing chapter 12 as our main text. But because it is such a long chapter, I've decided to divide it into a two-part message. Part 1 will entail verses 1 to 28. In part two, we will discuss in our next message, that is, verses 29 to 51. So if you still have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 28. And thank you once again, Luke, for already reading for us this portion of Scripture. But first, as always, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee once again for allowing us to gather here together this morning. We realize, Lord, that our time on this earth is very brief and that we need to understand that we have been placed here for a purpose. Pray that as we open thy word this morning, the Spirit of God will be pleased to speak to us and to show us what we ought to learn from this chapter of Exodus and what thy will is for each of us from this lesson. For we ask it always in and through the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In our previous message on Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, if you recall, Moses had been told by Pharaoh that he did not ever want to see his face again. And as a result, while still in Pharaoh's presence, Moses is spiritually informed by God of two things. First, that God would bring upon Egypt one more plague. 
and that after this plague, Pharaoh would, would let Israel go. Moses was to tell Pharaoh that God was going to take all the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast, starting with Pharaoh's own son, who was to sit on his throne. All would die. But so that Pharaoh would know that God is the God of the children of Israel, not a single Israelite, nor their beast, would die. God would put a difference, verse 7, between the Egyptians and Israel. And secondly, God tells Moses to speak to the children of Israel, telling them that every man was to borrow, verse 2, of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold to compensate, so to speak, for all the years of their slavery, all those years in which they received no wages. In addition, God would grant favor upon the children of Israel so that the Egyptians will be only too happy to give them anything and everything which they wanted, if only they would just leave. And when the plague would start, it would start at midnight so that Pharaoh would know of a certainty that this was done by the God of Israel. After pronouncing the tenth plague upon Pharaoh in Egypt, Moses leaves Pharaoh's presence in an anger, say the scriptures. There was much to be angry about. Pharaoh could have easily avoided any of the plagues had he not been so stubborn. But this plague, this one that was to take the lives of all the firstborn, was especially grievous to Moses to bear. For Pharaoh refused his final opportunity to let Israel go, and though Pharaoh cast Moses and Aaron out of his presence, promising to never see them again, he would, in fact, later relent that evening after midnight and call back both Moses and Aaron and finally let Israel go. Now we come to the main text for our sermon this morning, Exodus 12, verses 1 to 28. In the first verse, we see the Lord instructing Moses and Aaron about a new beginning and a new way of life. We read in verse 2, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Here we see God establishing for Israel their religious calendar, beginning with the first month called Abib, A-B-I-B, or Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, which is our March-April, middle of March, beginning of April. Now, this is extremely significant on many fronts. First, it is the beginning of spring, new life, in our case, March 21st. And so it was to be for Israel a new life and a new beginning. On the 10th of this month, they were to take a lamb according to the household, that is, according to the number of people in that household. But if there were too few for the lamb, then they were to join with their neighbors 
in the sharing of the lamb since it was to be completely eaten by morning. Nothing was to remain. Again, the significance here concerning the lamb is unmistakable. It was to be a lamb without blemish, a male in the first year. This, of course, spoke of Christ, who was the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, as proclaimed by John the Baptist in John 1.29. It was to be without blemish, like our Savior, whom the Scriptures present as holy, sinless, pure, undefiled. And it was to be a male in his first year. That too is significant. It was to be in its prime of life. It was to be selected from among the fold on the 10th of Nisan and slain on the 14th of Nisan. And why is that significant? Well, first of all, it was to be carefully examined for four days to see if there be any blemish in it. Just as our Savior was examined tested, tried for four days and found to be both pure and without sin. Four days from the time that he entered Jerusalem on the fall of the ass until he was sacrificed, he was declared by Pilate three times, I find no fault in him. The scriptures say of him that he knew no sin. He did no sin. In him was no sin. He was our perfect sacrifice. And like the Paschal Lamb, which had to be slain before the evening, that is, by 6 p.m. our time, Christ died 3 p.m. and was buried before 6 p.m. on the 14th of Nisan. It was to be completely eaten, that is, the Paschal Lamb, before morning. Nothing was to remain of the sacrificial lamb. And so too the lamb of God is to be completely fed upon. He is our sustenance and our life. None of him is to be left over. But before the children of Israel were to eat the lamb, his blood was to first be sprinkled upon two side posts of their door and upon the uppermost doorpost so that when the destroying angel came, he would see the blood and pass over that house. But please notice that the blood was never to be sprinkled on the foot of the door where it would be walked over and trampled upon. Hebrews 10.29 sends out a warning to those who would do such a thing. Of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Not only that, but the blood was to be applied to the doorpost by hyssop branches. Twelve times, Hyssop is mentioned in the scriptures, ten times in the Old Testament and twice in the New Testament. Now, there is very little known about the exact nature of this plant 
and why God would have included it in the sprinkling of the blood on the doorpost. However, we can be reasonably sure of this, that it must have contained some purifying qualities since it was always used in the cleansing process in Scripture. Symbolically, it speaks of our faith in the blood. Had the Israelites simply slain the lamb and eaten it, they would have perished. The blood which symbolized their redemption needed to be applied to the doorposts. In the same fashion, the blood shed for us, for our sins on Calvary, must personally be applied by faith, faith in it and in the Savior. For by grace are ye saved through faith, says Ephesians 2.8. And in addition to that awful evening, they were to eat the lamb roasted with fire and unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They were to eat this Passover with their loins girded, shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, verse 11. They were to have bitter herbs as well to remind them of their bitter suffering those 400 years under the bondage of the Egyptian. And they were to be ready to leave in a moment's notice, so to speak, while the children of Israel huddled in their homes that dark night, the angel of death passed through the land of Egypt, destroying all the firstborn of both man and beast, not under the cover of the blood. We read in verses 12 to 13, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. When the Lord finishes his instructions concerning the institution of the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread and all that pertains to it, Moses calls the elders of Israel and relays verbatim what the Lord commanded him to do. In verse 28, we are told that the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. Now, before I leave this portion of Scripture, I would like to draw our attention to verse 12 of this chapter. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And God did indeed destroy all the gods of Egypt. For when the destroying angel passed through the land of Egypt, all of their idols 
all of their false gods were also consumed and physically destroyed. The physical evidence of the destruction of Egypt's idols was a stark reminder as the children of Israel left that there is but one God and that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is no other God. With the death of the firstborn also came the death and destruction of Egypt's deity of death, Osiris, O-S-I-R-I-S, Osiris. We read later on in Numbers 33, verses 3 to 4, that this is exactly what happened. And they departed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, on the morrow after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with a high hand in the sight of all the Egyptians. For the Egyptians buried all their firstborn, which the Lord had smitten among them. Upon their gods also the Lord executed judgment. Well, that brings us to the end of this portion of Scripture for the time being. Very short message. I may make up for it next time. Perhaps, Lord willing, we will be able to tackle the rest of this chapter, verses 29 to 51, in two weeks' time. But now, before I step down from this platform, as you know, I always must ask you something serious. Have you applied the blood of Christ to your sins by faith? So many professing, uh, professing Christians think they are saved because they know that Christ went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. And believing that, they think they have eternal life. But they have never applied his shed blood to their own sins and guilty consciences. They have never been convicted and convinced of their own wickedness and sins, and total disobedience to the perfect law of God. They have never repented of their own sins and turned to Christ by faith for total forgiveness of all of those sins. They have never confessed that he died in their place on that cross, that they should have been the ones who should have hung on that accursed tree. They have never realized how precious the mercy and grace of God really is, or without it, no one could ever have been saved. Because of God's mercy and his love, he did send Christ to the cross of Calvary to be the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And because of his grace, he is able to save to the uttermost all who come to him by faith. Oh, dear friends, I ask you again, have you ever applied the shed blood of Christ to your sins? Have you by faith ever received him as your Savior and Lord, confessing your total inability 
to do anything to save yourself. If not, won't you do so now while there is still yet time? The Lord is long-suffering and gracious towards all. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 He loves even the most vile of sinners and wishes to save them if only, if only they will turn to him by faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to have been here together this morning. We thank thee for this message on Exodus chapter 12. And we thank thee that thy word is ever sure, that everything that thou hast promised to do, thou wilt carry out word for word one day. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together around his table. For we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. I guess we get a double dose of coffee. <laughs>